Okay, so here we are. If you were here with us on Wednesday, are you ready for me today? If you were here with me on Wednesday, we were talking about uh, doubt. And it so, it's so impressed me. You know, the Lord, we began this series talking about uh, eternal life and trying to define uh, eternal life as to what it means in the New Testament. When Jesus was here, he was talking about eternal life, certainly as it would apply to the life that we have that is going to happen after we, our mortal bodies cease to exist on this planet. But so much of the terminologies of the New Testament are actually showing us that he meant more than uh, eternal life in that sense. Remember, Peter was coming along and, you know, they did the, the, the eat my blood and uh, drink my blood and eat my flesh kind of routine. And everybody scatters, and, and uh, Jesus turns to Peter at that point, and he says, you're going to leave us too? And Peter had these sort of like words that are a little bit confusing at first. He said, Lord, where would we go? For you have eternal life when I die. That wasn't what Peter said. He said, you have the words of eternal life. And so, and when we look into, we did this already in, in past weeks, and we looked at these words uh, talking about eternal life, and it, the word eternal doesn't mean it lasts forever going forward only. It does mean that. But it actually means life going in both directions in an eternal sense. And so it's more likely, at least from the, the, the way that Peter gave the answer here, that he's talking about something other than the life that you have in the sense that it's life that just keeps on going. He's referring to life the way God experiences life. Because God is the only person that has life going in, in, in eternal ways in both directions. Even uh, the devil has life going in the same direction that we do. He's going to be around forever. All the angels are going to have life that way. It's only God that has eternal life going in both directions. And I think what, what Peter is trying to describe to us here is that when you have the words of Jesus, the truth of God on the inside of us, that, that percolating out of our lives like, a, like rays coming out of a flashlight, those, the, the, that force being released is, the, is a God life kind of force. And just like I'm struggling right now to try and explain what exactly are you talking about, the same problem they had here in the scripture. They were looking at Jesus and they were realizing, oh my gosh, everywhere you go, sick turns into health, lack turns into abundance, dead turns into alive. All of these amazing things are happening around you, but appears to be effortlessly. And what they're saying is, you know, you're, you're like here on earth, and you're operating, I think, the way God would operate. Like he's just like Shazam, got the, you know, he's got the superpower coming out of his fingertips. And he says, that's what I'm observing in you everywhere. And these guys were hanging with Jesus like 24-7. John says, if you had to write down everything that happened in the three years of Jesus' ministries, there's not enough paper on the planet to write it all down. It was like everywhere he went, anybody that got within, you know, within visible distance of Jesus was getting healed. He would just walk up to a person who's dead, like dead, going to be buried, and lay his hands on him or call him forth, and that person's life would be returned to him. And they're thinking, 
you got something going on here. But then they, it wasn't just like Jesus had something going on. They, they understood that what he was saying was actually transferable. That's why the disciples were there. That's why they didn't want to go anywhere. Because they were realizing that the, this eternal life, this God kind of life, this life the way God would live it if he was here on earth, was transferable in pill form. That you could get something from Jesus and you could pop it and all of a sudden that life would get beyond the inside of you. And it would start flowing out of you. The disciples realized, you don't remember they talking about they went out ahead of Jesus and they started doing miracles? And they came back rejoicing for what they had seen out of their lives, not Jesus' life. Jesus wasn't there. And Peter's revelation here is, as I understand what the pills are. He said there's a relationship between the people who are really listening to the words of Jesus and the people who are manifesting, their lives are glowing with this eternal life thing, this God life. And so we st- I started to think, you know, we're on the middle of this series now, and then God wakes me up a couple, well, I don't know if he woke me up or not, but he said it to me. I think it was when I woke up. And he said these words to me, decades of doubt. And it kind of hit me, and so I knew that this wasn't just, you know, bad pizza. And so I started to focus on decades of doubt. And we talked on Wednesday night about, or maybe last time before that, that we were, the, the, the last hundred years, a hundred years ago now, we were in the middle of World War I. Our great-grandfathers, perhaps your grandfather, depending on how old you are, was one of the soldiers in World War I, or at least was in earshot of newspapers or reports of what was going on in what was supposed to be the war to end all wars. It was just like so devastating, just so barbaric, just so awful that everybody coming out of that war said, we have definitely fought the war. If humankind will never do this again. It was so bad. You know, I was reading uh, Warren Buffett this morning. He's one of the guys I wake up to every day, just so wise. And he said, you know, that his, uh, uh, the one thing we do learn from history is that nobody learns from history. And then we went into, not long after that, Hitler and his activities in World War II and then Vietnam and then the Cold War and then all this, these, this devastating world where the future was just so uncertain. We just didn't know. And um, all of us that are here in this world right now have all lived in the middle of a world that was like that. And before that, really life wasn't like that. You lived in a very small community of people. You understood the world to be maybe five miles circle. That was it. You didn't have exposure to the way the world lives, uh, the the global sense of the world or the, 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 you know, there could be a war going on this side of the world and you lived on this side. You never knew it happened. And so we've got this, this, this reality that we're dealing with now. And the more I'm seeing it, because it's not like I would say Peter had the revelation when he said these words, uh, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. He didn't have the revelation that you have. And it's shocking to you, but everything after the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, hadn't happened yet. A lot of the Gospels hadn't happened yet. 
He didn't have, there wasn't, there, wasn't, there wasn't letters to read. They didn't understand. They hadn't lived in the New Testament at all yet. And they were saying, wait a minute. What Jesus is saying, these children's stories, you know, a woman loses a gold coin and she sweeps her house and gets it clean and finds the coin and rejoices. Woo-hoo! <laughs> you know, here's a person who gets some seed and scatters it on the ground and then they go, you know, the blade comes up first of the year, then, woo-hoo! You know, that's the story. That's preaching. It's like me. Come in here. Turn to Mark chapter 4. Again. You have simple stories. You can read, I mean, it's profound and it's challenging for sure, but they're simple stories. And I started to realize, as I'm going back and reading the things that Jesus said, he said, you know, this, this concept of doubt permeates the, the, the scriptures that are talking about manifesting the, the eternal life of God, the, the supernatural stuff. If you go to Romans chapter 4, in Romans chapter 4, we have this account of, of, of Abraham when he was going through, one of the first guys to ever go through this with God, when God came to him and says, I got a promise for you, Abram. And that promise to you is that you will be the father of a multitude. And he had never had children. He's 75 years old. And in order for him to manifest, Paul gives us a detailed line upon line of what it took for Moses to manifest the power of God the way that he did. And inside of that, it says he staggered, uh, excuse me, he, uh, he considered not natural limitations. And he did, he, he, he did not waver or he staggered not at the promises of God, becoming fully persuaded that God's able to do that which he has promised. In the middle of that, it said he, he didn't waver. He didn't stagger. That word, uh, stagger, is that word diacrino that we were working on before from when Jesus was talking in Matthew chapter 21 or, or, or Luke chapter 11 when he talks about whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he will have whatsoever. The eternal life. These promises of God, these enormous, almost unbelievable promises of God are available to every single human being. All they have to do is this wacko thing in the middle that says, just doubt not. Yeah. Can I tell you something? I remember when I was with uh, doing uh, you know, a lot of our development of the inner healing. I tried the jacket, guys. It's just not working for me. Dealing with the, uh, you know, the, the promises of God. And I remember, you remember the, the, the scripture in, in Luke 15, in 31, the prodigal son. And the, the father, God, comes to the religious son and says these words to him. Beloved, I am with you. And all that I have is yours. And I'm thinking to myself, my gosh, all of the promises of God are sitting right there in those ten words. Beloved, God loves me. Oh my gosh, you have that to break your brain right there. I am with you always. What are you going to be afraid of if God is always with you? Everything I have is yours. Where we have complete provision. Now God, withholding nothing from us. Right there. If all you get from the words of Jesus is a little fortune cookie that says, beloved, I am with you always. All that I have is yours, signed God. If that's the only one you had, imagine what you could do. 
Imagine the, the enormity of the supernatural ability that you would be able to manifest in a heartbeat if you believe just those 10 words. Except you just have to doubt not. And so I don't think in our world where we have, compared to Peter, we have a hundred million times more revelation potential. Just simply because we have more Bible. We have more New Testament. We have more people talking to us. And then you have 2,000 years of other people's work written in books and, and, and you know, commentaries. And we have all of these dictionaries and concordances and on and on and on and on and on it goes. And we have just so much word. And I'm thinking to myself, how can we have this crazy level of it, these words of eternal life and, this, and the, you know, the statistics of Christianity are pretty similar to the statistics of the rest of the world, except we make less money. Not you. Not either. Statistically. I need a rest. Anybody got some water? So here's what the problem is. There's got to be something else. Where's my boy? Where's my friend? Here's what I've, I'm going to share with you. I'll just pontificate for a while with you. That in this, thank you. Jesus said, this is how simple the equation is. If you can believe and not doubt, as long as you say, then you'll have. Does anybody have, and we've spent a long time working in this church about understanding what it means to really believe. I'm not talking about know in your head. I'm talking about believe in your heart. I'm talking about get rid of the junk, the old belief systems, the deceptions and lies, and get the truth in. Anybody not heard that message yet? If you go to the bookstore, there's 7,500 hours of teaching on that in there. And still, whoop, whoop, still. Doubt, not. The issue is not that there is not literally a nuclear power plant of eternal life on the inside of you. You, you right now. The problem is doubt is disconnecting the circuitry. That's what Jesus said. If you believe and doubt not, you'll have whatsoever you say. And so what we're going to spend some time with now, as I'm finishing my recap, the, what we're going to spend time with is understanding what exactly do we need to do in order to doubt not. And so turn with me over to Romans chapter 14. Because I think what we've got to do, we're running up now against a whole bunch of concepts and theories that really don't necessarily make sense in real life when it comes to how do we live? How do we do this day to day? And so in, in Romans chapter 14 now, we have this kind of a weird dissertation here, not weird, but situation, situational with Paul dealing with, the, with people's 
practices when it comes to their food. And so you probably, you may know, you may not know, but you may know that Jewish people uh, had a real specific diet. They refer to it as kosher. And uh, they're just like not allowed to eat anything that is not kosher. And then now you have this Jewish Christianity, kind of a mix of a thing that is going on as the New Testament is kind of organizing itself and setting itself up. And so they're encountering a big problem with the traditional background of Jewish people as they are trying to show the Gentile people how it, what it means to live with God, what it means to encounter God. And one of the things that they're running into is that they are arguing about food and what you should and shouldn't eat. And so Paul comes to them, and I'll read it to you. Let me just go there myself. Uh, Romans, I need somebody to be up here doing my iPad for me while I'm sweating my head off. Romans chapter 14, uh, let's start in um, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what you eat or drink, but of living a life of, godness, of goodness, of peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then let's aim for harmony in the church and try to, to build each other up. Don't tear down the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, it is wrong, it is, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or drink wine or drink wine and do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it to yourself. I'm not preaching on alcohol today, but keep it to yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing things they have decided is right. But if you have doubts, doubts, diacrinos, if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. Wow. Should we just take a moment there? It says you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. It's like, oh my gosh. There's this cool code on, on, on uh, texting. Does anybody recognize that? UBU? Can I tell you, this is going to be one of the defining three letters of, I think, the next thousand years of the kingdom. And let me tell you something. The kingdom wants to bash heads right now with anybody that comes up and says, here's what we need to tell people to do. UBU. If you think it's right, have at it. You know, it's, ooh, preacher. Is that right? Oh, yeah. It just said so in the Bible. I didn't write that. Come on now. If you think it's the right thing to do, have at it. I'm just going to wait for a moment while all the religious demons scream in the room. <laughs> Can I tell you why that's so important? If we don't let people be who they are, doing what they believe is right, 
We cannot engage with them a dialogue about what other options there may be. <clears throat> if somebody comes into my church, let's say you, have a, you like wine. Let's say, I'm just picking on that, but I can pick on 72 of them right now. But let's say you like wine and you think it's okay to drink wine. Have at it. I'm actually serious about that. I'm not going to do it because I have a conviction about what happens to people who lose control and what it means when somebody stumbles and especially when they go to heaven and they go, you know, listen, dude, I, I saw Pastor Ian doing that. I didn't think it was wrong. And he hurt somebody or she hurt somebody or whatever, destroyed their life because of that stuff. Now, I might be able to handle it. That's what this is talking about. I may be able to eat meat, but I'm not going to tell you to eat meat and put my convictions on you. Because what's that going to do to you? You're wandering along thinking living on Twinkies and Ho-Hos was perfect. Now, I came to you and I said, you know you're going to die young if you keep eating those ho-hos and ding-dongs. Now, what did I do to you? Excuse me? I did what? I made the person afraid. Now, I'm not saying that we're not going to believe God that they're not going to live on ho-hos and ding-dongs. The problem that we get into is that we constantly are telling people what to do instead of before they ask the question, what should I do? And then when we do that, we are putting doubt on the inside of them. You know, uh, Jesus won't love you if you drive too fast down the highway. Now watch that train go down the tracks a little ways. Now that's putting doubt in that person. They might only be four years old. Now, Jesus is not going to like you if you don't learn to do the dumpy dumpy in the toily toily rather than in the dipey dipey. <laughs> See, what we're doing is we're putting doubt into that person. You have to be so careful. Because when you come to the scriptures, the scripture is all about the right way. I'm, not I'm certainly not telling people that you're, Pastor Ian has gave me license to go and do whatever the heck I want. Right. You can go and do it. It's your life. That's what, it's what, this is what God said to Noah. In Genesis chapter 8 there. He said, from now on, dude, it's up to you. I ain't coming back here to fix any more of the trouble that you and your folk get into. From now on, seed time and harvest. It's up to you. Now, we come up. And we want the church to operate in such a way that now I understand that it's up to you and you have your own sovereign life. And I'm going to tell you exactly what you should do with it. Wow. And what we do when we're doing that is we break the most significant issue of the scriptures when it comes to the manifestation of eternal life. And that is that you do not doubt. You know, Livia comes up and she wants to be a guitar player like her father for the rest of her life. And I wanted her to be an eye doctor. And so I keep making her be an eye doctor when she's supposed to be a guitar player. And now she goes through the rest of her life as an eye doctor doing what her daddy, grandpa said that he, she should do. And has doubt and can't manifest who she really is on the inside because we have made her or we have superimposed a belief system. Now, I'm not, you know, you have to be, this is why this is so difficult. Because it's not that we don't help people with their belief system. Can I tell you something? 
this is something that we have got to contend with as a kingdom. That book, th this book, is, is, uh, is a manual. It's an instruction book. It tells us how to live life like God lives life. That's what this is. Here in heaven, forever, throughout eternity, if you ever have a wonder, how would God do whatever I'm facing right now, you can zippity-doo-dah into the book, and in here, it'll tell you how God does what he does to get what he gets. And that's what this book is. Most people don't think that's what the book is. Most people think that the Bible is the basic instructions before leaving earth. How to get to heaven when you die. It hardly ever talks about how to get heaven when you It talks a whole bunch about how to get heaven here. If God was here and he did things the way he does things, heaven would appear around him all the time. Do you know how we know that? Because Jesus says, I do nothing except I first get the instructions from my father. So I do things exactly the way he would do them if he was here. And how many of you would dispute the fact that everywhere Jesus went, the heaven on earth appeared around him? That's how this works. But if we're, but you see, if we don't get, if somebody doesn't start there, then if we start telling them what they're doing is wrong because it's our revelation before they understand, I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm just simply going to share with you what the Bible says between you and the Holy Ghost, have at it. And I wouldn't even do that. Yeah. I would wait. Live life. Try manifesting in SYM. Do you know what SYM means? Shut your... <laughs> Seriously. I think the kingdom does way too much talking and not enough manifesting. I mean, talking to you on the camera out there. We got to start manifesting. Amen. If we start manifesting, then somebody's going to come to you and they're going to ask you, hey, uh, how can I have eternal life like you have? That's what we need to do. But can I tell you, if you don't deal with this doubt, not issue. Look what it says there in verse, uh, the last verse. If you do anything you believe is not right, you're sinning. That verse starts off by saying, it, it, in, a, in, a, in the uh, New King James, it says, but if you have doubts, you condemn yourself. You condemn yourself. What does that mean? That's not a religious term. You've got to get rid of all these religious terms. Jesus was not building a church. He was not building a doctrine that was going to be the governing words of a church organization. If anything Jesus didn't want, it was that you would turn his words into a doctrine of a church. He was giving us instructions on how to live life in an effervescent, eternal life, going somewhere to manifest kind of a way. Just like God would do it if he came to this planet. What he's saying there is that when you have doubts, if you are going at something, how many of you have had that experience? Everybody's had that experience. You wake up in the morning and you're totally convinced that what you're doing is the right thing to do. You've heard from God and he said to do this. And then within 20 minutes, somebody comes into your life, a newscaster or your, your best friend or your whatever, and talks you out of it. How did they do that? They started putting doubt in your mind. I thought it was the right thing to do. 
Maybe it's not the right thing. I was going to cut the grass today. Oh, it's going to rain. Well, I shouldn't cut the grass today if it's going to rain. I should fertilize instead. No, don't fertilize instead. It's too early in the year to fertilize because it's going to rain. It's going to wash all the fertilizer off. Fine, I'm going to stay right here in bed. <laughs> and that's what we do. God says to go and get something done for the kingdom. And you're all fired up about the thing that I'm going to go do for God until somebody says you're going to look like an idiot doing it and you go back to bed. Right, yeah. It is a given that you're going to look like an idiot doing the things that God's asking you to do. <laughs> the world thinks that what you think is absolute lunacy. Check the scuttlebutt. This is a cult. Didn't you get the memo? <laughs> You see, every, we gotta, we got to deal with it. So how do you do this? What the, we live in a world, listen, we live in a world right now where there is so much technology, so much information, so much communication that is going on all the time. No matter what decision you have, you can go and find a hundred opinions in, the, in a blink of an eye, a nanosecond. We didn't have nanoseconds uh, 50 years ago. In a nanosecond. You can get 50 other opinions that tell you what you're doing is dumb. And we go and read them all. Until we have completely confused ourselves about whether we should do it or not. Then, because we told somebody that we would do it, we go do it anyway. And you're depending on faith and eternal life and the kingdom of God and the angels of God to go and do your bidding for you, but you're so full of doubt, they got their hands tied behind their back, they can't even move if they wanted to. Now, because you've got doubt filling up all of your head, not sure, I just don't know, oh my gosh, am I going to fail, look like an idiot? Now you have to do it all about your onesie. And it's so hard. And it's like, I can't pray today. I got so much stinking work to do. It's church. I was going to sleep in on this. I guess, Garth, I can't tell you. I'm exhausted. Like from the very inside of my being, I'm just so tired. All because we doubt it. It's like, oh my gosh. So, here's the solution. We're all going to get on a plane and we're going to go and find a cave in the top of the Himalayas somewhere where there is no Wi-Fi. And that's going to be perfect. Thank you for your enthusiasm. <laughs> Can I tell you something? This is a blessed world. Yeah. Having access to information is not a problem. Being able to share communications with people who have differing points of view, that's what the Bible says we're supposed to do. We're supposed to surround ourselves with the counsel of a multitude. Not people who just believe like you believe, man. You should find out what other people think. And if you need to plan or build, there's other people depending on you to get the job done. You, you know, you can't build a bridge if you're not going to figure out how to pour concrete, for crying out loud. I'm not going on the bridge. So it's like, this is amazing. The problem is, 
we got to understand the, ma- the, the magnitude of this thing called doubt. And how do we manage? Can I say, you know, I was thinking about Olivia the other day. I'll just draw you a little picture. Where's my... You know, it's, it's so crazy. This is what happens to Olivia right now. She's just a little tiny little creature. She's going to mature physically over the next 20 years, let's say. But can I tell you what happens to people in their soul? As they get older, remember we told you what hope was? Hope is experiences. They are the challenges of life and the the history that you have and the understandings and all of the failures and defeats and disappointments and stuff didn't work the way I thought it would. As we get older and older and older, we actually doubt more and more and more. We've got more reasons to doubt. I I used to tell Pastor Tina, I said, Tina, I'm glad you've got this faith thing going on, but I could tell you a thousand reasons why this ain't going to work. Because I had trained myself in the ability to doubt at a superhuman level by filling up my head with all the reasons it's not going to work. All the reasons you have to be afraid and all the reasons it's, you know, you potentially aren't smart enough or strong enough or rich enough or cute enough or whatever it would, you're just not enough. You go ahead and have at it, but in the end of the day, you're going to fail, Jack. That's just how this is going to go. You may not fail today, but just keep on the runway for a while, and you're going to fall off the cliff. That's just how this is going to go. You know, That's life. Same stuff, different day. We got to understand, how do we do this doubt not thing in a world where if we don't understand how to doubt not, we are going to doubt at a superhuman level, like no human being has ever had the ability to doubt before. To go where no man (laughs) has gone before. Supernatural, godlike doubt. So how do we do it? How do we do it? Other than the Tibet thing. Can I tell you, I'm going to share with you in two minutes and one second. I'm going to share with you a decision-making model that I think is going to revolutionize your ability to have supernatural, eternal life power operating visibly and manifestedly in your life. How would you like that? Okay. Where's my rubber outer? It's a simple process, but in its simplicity... It is profound, I will say, of my own plan. One, you must think. That means if you have a decision to make, you cannot just make the decision. Here is my trusty, how did I open this again? There is a way to open this. Yes, it is. There we are. Now, here are the two batteries, as we talked about on uh, Wednesday night, the two batteries that are key to functioning this flashlight. How many of you understand the concept of a battery? Say no if you do not understand what a battery is. Okay. So here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to randomly turn these batteries around in my hand, and I'm just going to drop these batteries in whatever direction they happen to be facing at the time. Now, 
What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you this flashlight and I'm going to put you into a very dark cave and tell you that there are spiders in that cave and I'm going to give you this flashlight. How are you going to feel about that? You're not going to feel very good about that because there is a distinct possibility. One, that the batteries are dead because you never saw this turn on, so you're not sure. Number two, there is a distinct possibility because there are four possible combinations for these batteries to go in there. Only one out of four of those combinations is actually going to line up the polarity of these batteries properly. You've also considered that the bulb doesn't work. You also consider that it was made in China and the whole thing <laughs> doesn't work. Do you see the problem? Now that I have explained to you the complexity, you might have been willing to do that at first. But now that you understand the complexity of this very complex item, referred to you younger people, sorry, this is a flashlight. <laughs> you probably have never seen one of these before. <coughs> it is an ancient artifact. But do you see the problem with doubt entering into your ability to use this flashlight? Because I'm just not sure. So in order to do this properly, what I have to do is I have to, before I just randomly toss the batteries, <coughs> can I have a candy? Uh, toss the batteries into this flashlight, I need to think. I need to make the decision as carefully as I know how to make. <laughs> Gathering in all the information that there would be across the internet. That would to do as much, gather all you want. Just do however you want to do it. Gather up, gather up, gather up, gather up, gather up. And then think. And then when you're done, I, do they go uh, uh, button up or button down? Do you happen to remember? Let's go with button up. So let's say that I had done my due diligence and wore my glasses so I could tell what I had just done. <laughs> we'll go with that one for this moment. Hopefully Ellen doesn't have to edit this piece out. And... Shazam! Look, look, look! Now you see what happens there is even when I had, you see I had doubt there. If I had done that job properly and I was prepared and I asked Jason which way the batteries going upside down and I had my glasses on and I did it the right way and I did all those things, then I could confidently take this flashlight into the cave with spiders knowing that I was going to be able to turn it on. I wouldn't have to have even a shred of doubt. And so when you're making decisions, we have to be making decisions in the very best way that we possibly can. This was enormously challenging for me when I first started to do this. Because I never assumed that I had all the information that I needed. Tina would come to me and say, are you ready to decide yet? No. I just had, let me do a little bit more research. How about now? No. How about next week? No. Are you ready yet? No. -uh. There was always the doubt. There always is the doubt. Because there's always a potential that you don't know the thing you need to know. Can I tell you, the Lord said these words to me, and they have absolutely set my life free. These are the words. You know what you need to know when you need to know it. 
Yes, God said it. What's the key here? The key here is that you can go ahead and do the due diligence. Add up all the information that you need. Certainly, as a Christian who's filled with the Holy Spirit, the most important piece of information in all of this equation is what does God say about it? When Dominic was here, Dom, Brother Dominic was here the other, the other day, Wednesday night, we were talking about communion with God. And he was just saying, just sharing with you some, some of the concepts of spending time just talking to God. Not going to God to get an answer. Right. Talking to him. You know, one of the biggest problems that we have in Christianity today is most people only go to God when you have a question. You know, it's, it's the famous thing with these young persons. How come it's always no? You know, you know, can I do this? No. Can you do that? No. Can I go here? No. Can I have that? No. Because the, the, why is it always no? It's not always no. It's always no when you're going to God with a random question that you care about. You can't just go to God with your question and get a no. You've got to go to God and get a yes. But he's not necessarily going to answer your question with a yes. But living life in the New Testament is living on the yeses. It's living on the things God does say. Not just answering no to every question you have. Can I buy this car? No. Can I buy a motorcycle? No. Can I get a new house? No. Can I get a new girlfriend? No. They're always going to be no, especially if you ask, because you're asking for something that you probably know you can't have. That's why you are asking. Instead, the communion that we have with the Holy Spirit is letting God lead you humble, submitted, available, and obedient before the Lord. Not needing anything, not needing an answer, not putting pressure on your soul one way or another. Just listening to him and say, Lord, you know what? I, don't, I remember buying this building and say, Lord, I don't care whether we have this building or not. Because I know there's just as many problems as there are benefits. I learned that much. And so I don't really care. You want to go there, we go there. If we don't, we don't. So I'm not putting pressure on God at all. Say, Lord, what do you say? And you see, when you hear from God, he said, make your best deal, I'm with you. So we did. Here we are, 10 years almost later, November 4th. We've been here for 10 years. Bills are paid. Should boom. The key to this is coming to the end of the runway on your decision. I, that's, I, I, you know, pilot gets to the end of the runway. He can't be goofing off. How many of you know that? I was thinking of running along here at about 15 miles an hour. Sure, everything will be fine. No, you got to get to the end of the runway ready. It's got to all be going on. And then when you get to the end of the runway, if you have walked with God and you have interacted with him all through the journey, everything is in order. And as far as it is between you and the Holy Ghost, we got all systems go here. And then you go ahead and make your decision. That's not the hard part. The hard part is the very next second. When another piece of information comes your way. And all of a sudden, that piece of information, perhaps minuscule and insignificant, 
that little piece of information pops into your head and you think, uh-oh. So this is what's happened. You have gone along between you and Almighty God, the God who knows everything about everything, and you have carefully deliberated with the, the issue at hand and the decision that has to be made. You have gathered together your council of many. You have prayed it through and you've got your green lights and you have all the information that you possibly have needed. Everything is in order and you step off that cliff knowing that you're working with God and everything is fine. And then some insignificant piece of information that probably doesn't matter at all contradicts what you have decided. And all of a sudden, this faith castle, fortress that you have built, collapses under the weight of a fly that we let get into the mix. Now, I, I'm, you know, I'm really shooting for 20-minute services. I really am. Just vision for you there. I'm not saying that that piece of information, it sh you should ignore it. When you're doing things with the Lord, there is constantly a, a feedback loop and an improvement loop and an excellence loop that you are in all the time. Always making improvements. And in order to make improvements, you're always gathering information to yourself. The problem is we are letting that information challenge something we have already decided to do. So here's the, I should have put the whole model on there. Uh, I better get my notes so I don't forget anything. And my glasses so I can read my notes. But it's as complicated as you get older, man. Okay, so you think, consult. This is with the counsel of many and the Holy Ghost. Then you consider, based on all of that consultation, what you should do. Then you decide. Then you do. And then you doubt not and plan ahead that's how you do this if you carefully make the decisions that you're making there's no room for you to doubt but this is on monday now by the time you get to tuesday the situation might have dramatically changed and so what you should do is completely overreact to even the smallest piece of information because it's scaring the bejesus out of you. <laughs> Wrong. This ended with doubt not. Don't put any doubt into anything you are presently doing. But when you wake up on Tuesday morning, here's a clue. Start thinking again. With all the information you now have, knowing that you know what you need to know when you need to know it. It means you're never too late. It means you're never behind the eight ball. It means you never make the wrong decision. Even when the decision on Monday is go and the decision on Tuesday is no go. 
What you don't do is decide to no-go before you think, consult, consider, decide, do, and make a determination to doubt not again. What we're doing is we're allowing our souls to become lazy in its decision-making. We're allowing ourselves to procrastinate and hesitate around one section of it and then quickly jump to the other side of overreacting and making rash decisions, impulsive decisions, by allowing our minds to start doubting. The scripture is clear. If you want eternal life flowing into your world, you must never, ever, ever doubt. Doubt is by looking backwards and thinking that the decisions you made yesterday were the wrong decisions. Faith and hope is looking at the decisions you are making now and how they are going to impact the future. And when you are making those decisions now relating to the future, you're moving with the Holy Spirit and you're never going to make a mistake. And the more time you go along making these decisions very carefully, the more you are training your soul to never allow doubt to enter in. You never think the ground that I'm standing on right now is going to shift. Because the way I got to this ground was by following the Holy Spirit all the way here. Now let me caution you. That doesn't mean that you're going to appear to be making the right decision every time. Can I tell you something? We bought this building. We were looking for at a building across the other side of Walmart, the, what is, used to be the Country Time Market. And we were within four days of closing on that deal when the guy doing the appraisal on the property called us and said, that property has two zonings on it. The front piece is zoned one way and the back is zoned the other way. When I called the town to inquire about it, they only told me the zoning on the front. We were going to build the church on the back. And the guy doing the appraisal called us and said, did you know that you're not allowed to build your church on the back of that property? So here I am thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? This is a complete catastrophe. I've made such a stupid mistake. And then I realized, wait a minute. Now... We know going backwards that, that what it cost to buy this building, the other building was about half the price of this one. And so all God was doing was getting me to step up a little bit and so that when it come time to buy this one, I wasn't going to faint because I already prepared myself in the journey. I wasn't going the wrong way. It didn't necessarily turn out the way I thought it was going to turn out. God was already in the background making this building work. But I'm following him, doing what I think is the right thing to do and going through, think and consult and consider and decide, do and doubt not. And God gets us there. The, the worst thing that I should do right before God wants us to buy this building is to think, I don't hear from God. God doesn't talk to me anyways. And so every one of my decisions is just me standing on thin ice. And then God comes to me and says, buy this one. The only reason we knew to buy this one because he said, make your best deal, I'm with you. If I fell down because of the previous experience and then started to doubt all of my do I hear God or not, we wouldn't be in this building. 
You see the problem? You just have to get to the place where your soul has got the muscle that prevents itself from doubting. And then you go into one, can I promise you, can I just say this to you all and all of the world and eternity to come? You just do it for a day. Just don't doubt anything you're doing. You're going to eat uh, O. Henry for breakfast? Have at it. <laughs> I probably won't feel very good after that, but I'm just going to warn you. But everything you do, now I'm not saying don't grow. Now that's, I didn't get to that in the scripture here. When Paul is talking about, you know, don't stagger with the food that you eat. I mean, God does have a way to eat for food. If he doesn't want you going and chewing on some pine tree, that's not going to be particularly good for you. He's got a way for you to eat well so that you can live healthy. And if you find out what that is, you just keep getting better and better into the future. You might have, like me, I spent my whole university years, I lived on a bag of pota barbecue potato chips every day. I'd buy a big bag in the morning and I'd slowly eat it until I went to bed that night. How do you live for five years on barbecue potato chips? Now, the, but the devil bugs me about that. He says, oh, you know, you don't know what you, you know, yeah, uh, 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 uh. said, no, 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 I'm fine. I don't have to worry about that. My father was raised for the, during the war years. He had smorgasbord, they said. He said, you'd sit down at a table, you'd have big potatoes and little potatoes. And they lived all those years. But they didn't doubt. They didn't have all the information that if you don't have, if you don't take all these pills that are, the words are so long that you can't even pronounce them. And if you don't have a million dollars a year to, you know, go at, then, you know, you're probably going to die young anyway. So just give it up, you know, don't do that. The great equalizer is that we doubt not, not that we don't go get the information. I'm not saying that. Do you want to find out how to live life like God lives it? it it's written right in your Bible. It's in the instruction book. You know, we put together a new power washer yesterday. It's like, oh my gosh, I am the man of all mans. It comes with this little bottle of oil. Now, I've had power washers and small engines before, but they always came with the oil in them. So Jay and I were doing it yesterday, and I say, I don't know, why did they give you the oil? I don't know. Maybe they just want you to do, encourage you to do the oil change after the first year or two. We were going to put the oil back in the box and put it away and have at the, uh, the power washer until we had this brilliant thought. Jason says, you know what I think we should do? I think we should read the manual. <laughs> I was offended, you know, at the t at certainly. And sure enough, the thing says, there's no oil in this machine. You need to add that quart of oil or else you're going to blow up your power washer. Your brand spanking new look like a man power washer. All you got to do is read the manual. And so we've got to stop. We certainly got to read the manual. We certainly got to keep growing. We certainly got to keep increasing in the revelation of this incremental journey that we have going from faith to faith and from here to there and growing and growing. Certainly we got to do that. But let me tell you something. We got to stop doubting along the way. Eternal life starts happening the day you decide that Bible is your instruction manual. By the time you get to in the beginning, 
it's already starting to work if you just doubt not. Put your hand over your heart and say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I know I'm on a brand new journey. A brand new journey to learn how to doubt not. How not to take a single step, not one breath, not one decision, not even the smallest thing in my life with doubt in my heart. I'm that person that wants to walk with eternal life, the manifestation of supernatural life flowing through my body into my world every single second. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.